Parents Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. Hello and a very warm welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Corey. And tonight on the show, we're talking about two very connected topics that you might not automatically think are connected, but they're education and divorce. We all know divorce can be complicated and it can be a difficult process and all depending on the circumstances. And when it comes to education, it's even more sensitive because it matters so much to everyone. It's an agonizing decision to make in the best of times. Which school do you pick? Where do you live so that you get the best school? But when it's part and parcel of a divorce or separation, how does that actually play out in reality? And what's the best thing to do for your child or for your children? So today we're speaking to Hannah Viette, who's Associate Solicitor from Raiden Solicitor, an award-winning specialist law firm here in St. Albans. And she's going to tell us about the most practical and constructive path to take. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us on The Parents Show. Hi, Lydia. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So education and divorce, I have to say it's not something that we've dealt with on The Parents Show, but I'm really, really interested to hear what you have to say about it. I think it's um, such a fundamental issue to discuss and think about. And I think that I have a child at school and I know how important the decision is. So it is even harder when parties are going through a separation, particularly when that's quite an acrimonious separation. So it is an important issue to discuss. Absolutely. And it's fantastic to have you and your expertise on that topic because people might necessarily think that you can link the two. So I'd love to start right at the beginning. So if you've parents who are divorcing and who need to decide on which school their child or children will attend, I've got a few questions. Who has the right to choose if parents are not united in their decision? Does one parent have more power than the other? How does it work? Um, Well, really, the answer to this question ultimately comes down to the question of who holds parental responsibility in respect to the child. And the reason I say that is because all persons holding parental responsibility have to agree on where the child shall be educated. I say that even in circumstances where the child lives with you the majority of the time and you would maybe consider that the other parent isn't too involved in their day-to-day care, but you're still prohibited from making unilateral decisions with regards to the child's education. So you might say, well, what is parental responsibility and, and how is it defined in law? So the Children Act 1989 defines it as all the rights, duties, powers, responsibilities and authority, which by law a parent of a child has in relation to the child and their property. So really, in effect, what this means is that if you hold parental responsibility, you can make the day-to-day decisions in respect of the child in order to meet their needs. But important decisions such as where the child shall live, what name the child shall be given, what school the child shall go to, what medical treatment the child shall receive, what religion the child should be brought up with, and whether the child can be taken abroad should not be made without the agreement of all persons holding parental responsibility in respect of the child. And when we talk about parental responsibility and the people who hold it, you don't necessarily have to be the parent of the child to hold parental responsibility as there are ways to acquire it either via agreement or through an application to the court. Well, that's actually quite a broad spectrum of, of issues that can't be decided unilaterally. I, I personally am quite surprised by that. I didn't realise. 
I thought that once you, you know, you were the kind of the main caregiver that you could. So, and what, what happens if both can't agree? Well, if you can't agree, there's potentially two applications that can be made to the court. And really which application you make will depend on your particular circumstances. So obviously the first step would be to try and see if you can reach an agreement with the other parent. But if you can't, then there is recourse of the court. Um, so if, say, you had circumstances where you cannot agree with the other parent which school the child should attend, you can apply to the court for a specific issues order. And this is done by way of a C100 application. And in effect, what a specific issues order is, is an application to the court whereby you ask the court to consider and determine a specific issue in dispute, such as the child's name or what school they should attend. In terms of the other application, which you may need to consider, is say in circumstances you learn that the other parent intends to change the child's school or has attempted to change the child's school without your consent. Then in those circumstances, you can apply to the court for what's called a prohibited steps order. And again, that's done with the same application form, which is a C100. With a prohibited steps order application, generally those applications are time pressured and it is important that you act quickly. So if you believe or have any cause to believe that the other parent intends to take steps without your agreement with regards to your child's education, my advice is to speak to a solicitor without delay. In effect, a prohibited steps order is an order from the court prohibiting a person, typically the parent, from taking certain steps and from exercising their parental responsibility in respect of a disputed issue, such as the, the school that they will attend. And generally, if you were to get a prohibited steps order from the court, it could be in terms of you're prohibited from removing the child from their current school without an agreement with the other party or without an order from the court. In terms of at the outset, what you need to consider is, well, first of all, what exactly am I asking the court to do? And within your C100 application form, I think you need to specify exactly what order you want the court to make and brief reasons as to why the court should make that order. When making decisions in terms of whether the court makes a decision regarding an application for a specific issues order or a prohibited steps order, the court, their fundamental decision is to consider what is in the best interest of the child and they have to make a child focused decision. And what they refer to is a welfare checklist, which is in the Children Act. And that this can include things such as the wishes and the feelings of the child concerned, the child's physical, emotional and educational needs, the likely effect on the child in the change of their circumstances, the child's age, sex, background and any characteristics of the child that the court considers as relevant, whether the child has suffered any harm or is likely to suffer harm, how capable each of the parents are in meeting the child's needs and the range of powers available to the court when making their decision. So, I mean, there, I mean, exactly what you hope the court would put be putting as a priority. I mean, those welfare checks are, they're great. I mean, it sounds like what should be prioritized. So, so they're the kind of reasons why somebody would put a specific issue order in place. So, for example, their best friend is at that school or they have a great relationship with their teacher. Is it, is it that kind of, those kind of reasons? Well, when we think about why people want to change schools, sometimes it can be that a relationship has come to an end and they want to move out of the area, say move back to be closer to family, or say, for instance, the child may be being bullied or you may feel that their educational needs are not being met by their current setting. So those are reasons why people may consider it's necessary to change schools, but also 
The other circumstance where you may need the court's assistance is when you make the initial application to the local authority for a primary school place and for a secondary school place. Ultimately, however, in these circumstances, it's a local authority that will decide what school your child will attend. But as parents or those who hold parental responsibility, you do have a choice in your application form. Generally, it's a choice of four schools. And if there really is a significant dispute between you and the other parent or other person holding parental responsibility, you may need the court's assistance with this. I think these circumstances are more rare because there's a choice of four schools to be put within the application form. And generally, you are quite limited because of your location and the schools in and around your area. But it may arise and it's good to know that you can have the court's assistance with this. That's great. Thanks, Hannah. Really, really useful. So what should you consider before making your application for a specific issue order? And and what are the practical applications of it? Let's start with the first bit. I think the key to a successful application for a specific issues order is preparation. What you need to demonstrate to the court is that you have genuine reasons for wanting your child to attend at the specific school that you propose. It's a binary decision, so either the court will agree to make the order you seek or it won't. So it's important that you think at the outset as to what the merits of your application are. I think there's some key things that you need to consider before you make your application. So the most fundamental being, is there a place at the school that you want your child to attend? Also, you need to do a bit of a comparison. So look at the current school your child attends versus the new school. Look at things such as what facilities are on offer, what clubs are on offer, what after school care is offered and really tailor it to your child. Don't think about it generically because anyone can look at a school and say, well, look at all the clubs they offer, etc. But think about it as through the eyes of your child. Think about what's in their best interest, because that's how the court will look at it. I also think you need to consider the travel time to the new school, because if you are proposing a new school which will result in extensive travel for the child to and from home you really need to justify why that travel is necessary and finally if it's a fee-paying school consider who's going to pay those fees and is that an issue that needs to be determined as well that's incredibly helpful you know you've you've laid it out so simply and clearly and and really constructively thanks hannah now moving on with the specific issue order when there is an order in place is it permanent is it can be changed if circumstances change or if parents change their mind how does it work it's not permanent no it can be amended by agreement between the parties or by further order of the court you know no one's life stays static things change people move on and you know ultimately an order that say is made now might not be applicable in say four five years time and the court can recognize that however it is worth bearing in mind that If the court has recently made a decision, you need to have real reasons as to why the circumstances need to be re-looked at. And because the court will be aware that many changes for a child will have an impact on their well-being. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense and good to bear in mind. And I suppose as time goes on, you'd hope that situations will become less tense between partners and it's easier to kind of find agreement on, on topics like this. I think so. Uh, And also, as children get older, they have a voice. So parents can hear what their children want, you know, particularly in terms of secondary education. You know, that's not to say that the children's wishes and feelings is definitive. By no means am I saying that. But parents can listen and can hear what their children want. And 
And that does generally influence their decision making. Fantastic. Of course. Of course. Great. So we're coming to the end of our interview, but of a just one more question. What advice would you give parents who are starting down the road to divorce about this topic of education, you know, in a way to get the best possible outcome for their child? I think for me, it is communication is key because don't make decisions behind closed doors. Don't try and make unilateral decisions because it really starts things off on the wrong foot. Obviously, if you're going through an acrimonious divorce and communication it's quite difficult. It may be that you want the assistance of a solicitor, but even if you can't speak to the person directly, think about other other methods of communication, such as email, text messages. And as I said, it may be that you could speak to a solicitor and ask that they write on your behalf. I think it's important as well to seek legal advice at an early stage, just to establish the merits of your proposed application. And also to focus your mind as to things you need to be thinking about and how to really show the court that the decision you want the court to make is in the best interest of the child because as explained previously there are practical implications to think about and it is helpful to seek legal advice on that at a very early stage and finally I think think about timing bear in mind there's significant delays with the court dealing with these applications so don't think about what school the child should be attending you know a month before because if you can't have an agreement with the other parents then you will need to make an application to court. And unfortunately, there are delays with the court. Obviously, life doesn't always work that way. But insofar as it's possible to do so, I think, think ahead, think about, you know, the future. And if, if say, for instance, an application is coming up for a secondary school place or a primary school place, think about it well in advance and have those discussions with the other parent at the earliest opportunity. Sound, really sound advice, Hannah. Thank you so much. So, I mean, how much of a delay? I know this is asking how long is a piece of string. At the moment, here we are in, you know, early 2021. How long are the delays in the court cases? And I'm assuming it's all down to COVID. Well, there was quite a lot of delays before, but COVID certainly hasn't helped matters. But in terms of if you were to see an application right through to the end where you need to have a final hearing at which the court will make the decision for you, you could be looking at between eight to 12 months for a final decision to be made. But it really does depend, first of all, on the court and their availability, but also are there any other issues that need to be determined? Are there any welfare concerns that the court needs to investigate? And generally, these applications aren't made in isolation, so they may be made alongside an application for a child arrangements order whereby you're asking the court to determine how much time the child spends with both parents. So it is dependent on the specific case, but I think you're looking at around eight to 12 months for a final decision to be made from start to finish. It could be sooner than this, but I think that's a more realistic time frame. That's I'm so glad you flagged it up, Hannah, because that's significant. I mean, eight to 12 months in a, in a four-year-old's life is, you know, is a long time really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Really, that was fantastic to hear from you, Hannah. And thanks so much for your time this evening. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me, Lydia. So that's Hannah Viet, Associate Solicitor from Raiden Solicitors, an award-winning specialist law firm here in St. Albans. Thanks very much, Hannah. Thanks, Lydia. The Parent Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See raidensolicitors.co.uk. A very warm welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia Elcourie. And good evening, everybody. I'm Seema Barker. 
So tonight on the show, we're delighted to have one of our regular contributors to the Parents Show. That's Debbie Roberts, who's CEO of the Ollie Foundation. Debbie, you're very, very welcome back to the Parents Show. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much. It's it's always a pleasure. This is the most fun I've had. <laughs> and I always love being with you. It's the the feelings very 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 much mutual, Debbie. And everybody, I'm sure, in St Albans and the surrounding area, I'd say the vast majority of people know the Ollie Foundation. But will you just give us a little little overview of your organisation so parents know what's going on? Sure. So the Ollie Foundation, Ollie stands for One Life Lost Is Enough, and at our core, we are a suicide prevention training charity. Over the last year or so, we, we've um, grown in that we we are exploring how the internet and being doing everything on Zoom allows us actually to to um, well just ignore borders. So now I just delivered a goal setting training to a school in Nicaragua. Can you believe that? Um, yesterday, that's we, so impressive. It's amazing, isn't it? Yesterday, and 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 this blows my mind. The most significant mental health charity in South Africa approached us and said please can we come on your training please can you teach us about suicide prevention training so yes we're St Albans based um, but actually we're, we're engaging with people around the world it's really wonderful and actually it's wonderful to hear that you know um, I think I think a lot of people right now, um, I think it would be fair to say, just feel a little bit deflated about everything. And so it's great to hear that there are advantages that are coming out of the way we are all living now, which is those communication uh, zones have completely changed, haven't they, as you said. So that's fantastic to hear that uh, the Ollie Foundation is reaching out to so many other people. Absolutely. Seema, last March, I was really, really clear. If we cannot be relevant to people now, we won't exist later. Um, we we really scrambled to get everything online. We weren't delivering any content online, and and you know thankfully amazing team of people, uh, amazing trainers, and and we've been able to to I think usefully transition onto online delivery. And and of course we're all waiting. We can't wait to be seeing people in person, but we will never stop having a presence online. I have to say it's such a relief that you have adapted and innovated as a foundation because what you offer is is so crucial to young people and it would be such it would be such a shame if it wasn't available particularly at a time like that like this you know so tell us Debbie what's what's happening at Ollie what's the latest news with you guys well, <laughs> there's there's lots of wonderful news uh, and lots of very serious news. So, you know, build, building from our conversation just now around being able to be online and geography not being an issue, one of the things we're really proud of is our Winter Wellbeing Programme. We've reached out to every university um, across the UK, but locally, every school. Um, and this Winter Wellbeing Programme is a rolling programme of online talks and workshops that are open to students. Uh, we're really targeting students year 11 through to third year university or master's students even. But it, it's the acknowledgement that a lot of our students are continually on shifting sands, not knowing where they are, what's happening with their course, what's happening with their qualifications. And we wanted to offer a bit of assurance. So that's been a programme that has been 
taken uh, so beautifully into the hearts of local people who have, uh, and not just not just in St Albans or Hertfordshire, but actually quite a lot of people all over who have been supporting us because we don't get any funding unless we get donations. So it's been wonderful that people have seen the need for this and have, have funded this campaign so that we can deliver this free to students. So that's that's one of the things we've been up to. That's great news. And and actually, have you found that your reach is even further now because you're online? Uh, oh, absolutely. As I said, we, we just yesterday, uh, we, we hosted um, a suicide prevention training for, for practitioners in, in South Africa, which was, you know, quite surprising for us that they, they, they had found us and wanted us to train them. But in terms of the Winter Wellbeing Programme with students, we're definitely reaching people in different parts of the country. Somebody saw something on social media and then uh, they're based in Wales and then they showed it to someone else. You know, it's that kind of ripple effect. Um, and, and thankfully, people are hearing about this and booking on. We took the decision not to close over Christmas and New Year. So we were working pretty much every day offering talks and and you know they were quite busy one of our most popular ones though is something called zentangle which i had never heard of before november so, Zen, zentangle is mindful art classes it's basically doodling but with purpose um it's just beautiful and if anyone wants to come <laughs> those classes are just wonderful I, I promise you will sleep better that night well, that's that's pretty important to to uh, to uh, hit on, isn't it? That idea that uh, you know people need to relieve the tension. To I like the idea of of doodling with purpose. Actually, it's purpose. I think that perhaps a lot of people are feeling they might not have right now. And for our young people at university and at school, that's particularly troublesome. And you know, there's been, have there been any, has there been, are you aware of any kind of rising mental health illnesses or depression that happened over the lockdown specifically? Well, Ollie is not particularly a campaigning organisation and, and we're not an organisation that, that generates our own data. But the data that is being collected suggests very much that people across the board are, are struggling and our young people, we, we're seeing emerging disordered eating we're seeing enormous issues with sleep yeah that but for us the biggest problem the one that we are really really focusing on is um, that sort of emerging anxiety and depression and how people will be using or asking for help in terms of antidepressants which which is great we don't want people not to be asking for help but our, our new campaign, it's actually something we've been working on since last summer, and that is supporting doctors and chemists to have a standardised approach to um, administering antidepressants. Something I think is, is going to be very surprising for people listening today. I know I was completely blown away by this, but, you know, we understand with antibiotics, if uh, we take them, we, we might get diarrhea for instance it might affect our stomach um, we also understand if we get a rash if we're feeling bad we know to go back to the doctor we know to stop taking those antibiotics in discussion with the doctor what is incredible to me is that there is a situation that is not dissimilar with antidepressants antidepressants can and do have side effects 
And it's thought that around one in 200 people will have quite serious side effects. And the kicker is that the side effects are that the depression and the anxiety that they're hoping to relieve will actually deepen and get worse. And for some people, that will include suicidal thinking. So it is not at all that we want people to stop asking for help and not at all that we're saying antidepressants are not the right way to go they absolutely that's what we need if that's what's been prescribed but what we think is really important is that doctors are supported to know how they have these conversations with their patients in a way that does not catastrophize and does not cause alarm but in the same way that we would have that conversation around antibiotics or any other drug that might have a side effect so that that patient understands what they can do to support themselves. So what we would like to see, that the sort of core currency in suicide prevention training around the world is the knowledge of how to create a safe plan or a crisis plan. So a safe plan is something that we typically create when we're in a fairly calm space and we think about what we can do if things get worse for us, who we'll call, how we'll distract ourselves, uh, which agencies we can speak to. There's a whole range of ways that you can use a safe plan. What we think is vitally important is that doctors are, as I say, there's a standardised approach and they feel confident to have a very quick but clear conversation around possible side effects and what to do. We'd like to triangulate this by bringing chemists in. So the doctor, we think, will start this conversation and it will be part of the prescription. And when that patient goes to collect their prescription, the chemist will then finish that conversation and complete that safe plan with that patient. So then that patient now has two anchors in the community two people that have spoken to them and made sure they understand that if your situation, if you were to feel worse, it isn't that your depression is getting worse despite of the medication, it's because of the medication. And of course, I think we all can appreciate, even if we've not experienced depression, I think there's enough cultural understanding to know that when we're feeling depressed, it's hard to reach out. So if you have an induced, sort of chemically induced depression, it's even harder. And that's what we want to stop happening. And we we know it's not a magic wand. We know it's not going to change everything, but we think it's going to help. Debbie, I'm so glad you've come on the show and drawn attention to something as crucial as this, because I think a lot of parents like me will probably be thinking, you know, you assume that once you make the big decision to go for antidepressants, that that's the biggest hurdle overcome. So I think tapping into something as, as, as potential side effects and very, very serious side effects, as you've mentioned, is, you know, is so important. And how, how big of a task is it to try and get that triangle set up? Well, we we have a very clear idea of what this would look like. We understand, we believe we understand why this is so important. We think it is um incredibly protective for everyone involved um what you what we need to be clear about is one in 100 one in roughly one in 100 people will have these side effects there are millions of people on antidepressants and if their anxiety or their depression is getting worse they might assume as i've said before that it is because of them that it's just getting worse for them and the the pills aren't helping 
So we have to be really clear about this. And I think um, it's going to support our, our chemists and our GPs as well. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a GP and, and to have a patient who takes their own life once we've supported them. They've reached out to us. We've put them on antidepressants. In, in fact, I, I'm not even sure I, I sort of want to rewind that, but, but because I'm not suggesting anyone here is doing anything that isn't right and proper, but it must be an incredibly a huge burden. And I think, therefore, we can protect our GPs, but most importantly, we can protect our people. And, the, and here's the thing. The data suggests that the younger you are, the more problematic this becomes. And when you say younger, what age group are you talking about, Debbie? So our young adults, 17 through to maybe 30, okay. um, the younger we are, I, I, I think that it, it's quite, my understanding is we, we would look very hard uh, at all kinds of other options before we look at antidepressants for anyone. That is the nice guidelines, um, that, that antidepressants for mild depression are, are not recommended. We know that in young people, and actually this is true of all people, if we do nothing, in many, many cases that depression will lift spontaneously. Nobody knows why, but it's just the truth of the matter. There is so much research around the placebo effect and antidepressants, and that's not really what we're here to talk about today, because if it works, it works. But what I really, really want to highlight for people is... Um, this concern that if someone you know is on antidepressants and they're feeling worse you've got to be aware it could be the drug and and therefore it needs to be tweaked just like we would with any other medication we would tweak it we would maybe find another brand or another dose so that we get it right for that person because we're all individual yeah and so the advice really for parents that are listening that might have uh, you know uh, young adults, their children on antidepressants. Is if you if you're worried and you talk to your your child and you think that their depression, that you can perceive that their depression perhaps is getting worse, that it's not lifting, and and that uh, those antidepressants perhaps aren't working, rather than worrying about the depression itself setting in more, actually going back and talking to the GP is is the thing that oh, absolutely key would yes. be the right yeah yeah key. and and it's the first two weeks particularly that you need to be concerned about. It's those first two weeks where the body is is processing those drugs and getting used to them. And, and that's where we can see the biggest problems. So, yeah, careful eye over those first two weeks. Listen, your GP is an uber professional. They would not be recommending antidepressants if it was not the right drug. So we're not saying anything against taking antidepressants that's the right way to go if that's been prescribed for you it's just a better awareness that there can be quite significant side effects and what to do about it and that's all we want is that clear conversation particularly with the patient so that they can support themselves fantastic debbie and so why what i wanted to ask you next is just say there's a parent listening now and you know antidepressants are potentially on the horizon and they just want to talk to somebody about what you've just said to us. How do they get in touch? How can they contact Ollie? So www.theollifoundation.org. All our contact details are on our website. What we would love to do actually is is hear from people that may have had experiences, positive and negative, things that they might want to share with us, uh, because 
obviously the more evidence we have for the need for this is useful but actually if there's anyone listening today and it's within your gift to help bring this pilot to the world because this is right now is an idea we think the efficacy of this is strong but we need a pilot we need to work with gps and chemists to see if this feels useful also we know for sure we have not considered because we're not the ones sitting there in in surgery so we won't know all the obstacles that a doctor or chemist might experience with this but we know if we work together we can work through them and at the end of the day all we want to do is support those patients to get better so anyone listening if you yeah if 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 it's something you would like to know more about please do contact us because we we would love to work with you or support you or just hear your stories that's wonderful thanks so much debbie and indeed if anybody wants to support the the Ollie foundation i know you you have frequent fundraisers and you know as a parent I honestly can't think of a local charity that deserves your your financial and moral support as as much as the Ollie Foundation. The work you do is really life changing and and amazing, and we're very grateful for what you do, Debbie. Thank you, thank you so much. We are an organisation that works hard to uh, become redundant, to disappear. We don't want to be here, but as long as we are needed, it is our absolute honour to do this work and support our community. So thank you so much for having me here today. Thanks a lot, Debbie. Pleasure. Thanks for joining us, Debbie. Thank you so much. The Parent Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See raidensolicitors.co.uk. It's almost impossible for any of us to get away from the impact of coronavirus and the lockdown, and that's particularly true of parents and children. The uncertainty over the closure of schools and the reintroduction of remote learning has been a challenge for most parents to some degree. But parents without the correct technology to provide their children with a basis for continuing their online education have been particularly badly hit. Our next guest was moved by the situation that some parents and children find themselves in and decided to do something about it. Kate Nesbitt and her husband Mark set up the Share to Learn project in St Albans and Kate now joins us with some of her family in the background to talk about the Share to Learn project. Kate, welcome to Radio Verulam. How are you? Very good, thank you, Steve. Um, thank you for having me on the show. Now, it is our pleasure, as always. Now, you are doing a great thing at the moment, are you? You're doing Share to Learn. Tell us a little bit about the Share to Learn initiative. What, what exactly is it? We're asking people in the local area to donate any old devices that they have or to financially donate to a Just Given page that we have. And we are then sharing these devices out to schools in the local area that have a need. So there are many families still in the local area that don't have these devices at home or they possibly do. But actually their children are having to share, which isn't necessarily a problem. But it is if you have two, three, four children all at different ages and therefore the different types of learning they're having to do is on a you know a very different scale and of course parents are having to work from home too so we're trying to make life easier for the families in in total but also to enable every child as as far as we possibly can go to actually homeschool so the initiative came just by chatting actually to another school friend and my husband Mark who also I work with. We were discussing the fact that in many ways we really can't complain that we had enough devices between us that we were also working from home and so we could give the children 
as in our children, we've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Between us, we could really help share the load. And they also had the devices, which they could look up stuff themselves. And, it, you know, it worked really well. And, and with a chat with a friend, we uh, just felt that as much as this lockdown does feel really quite different and, and definitely harder, that we were certainly not ones that should be complaining. It was from this conversation that she mentioned that, and in fact, another school friend was loaning one of her devices because they hadn't got one at all apart from a phone, which was in part broken. And I think it just, I suppose, slightly surprised me that, you know, there was a friend who I actually wasn't even aware of didn't have this. And therefore, it can't just be one person that we know, you know, this is clearly not a one-off case and that there needed to be more. I think it is very easy to take it for granted, isn't it, Kate? Very easy to take it for granted that these devices are going to be available. And I've probably seen the same TV interviews that have inspired you to a degree of families of five or six children gathered around a mobile phone trying to do work from home. And and that can only make the gap between the haves and the have-nots and and those who are able to learn and and those who are struggling to learn uh, wider. Yes, without a doubt. And that's certainly what we've we've certainly started to find that out by spreading a little bit um, of the initiative of what we are trying to do. Um, Schools have obviously come to us explaining that there are some families that literally actually have nothing. So it goes from the haves and the haves not, but but varying degrees also between that. And I think within this, there also has to have some appreciation that that parents are all trying to do their best. We certainly are too. It is a stressful environment. It's stressful enough when technology doesn't work, but it must be even harder when you have got multiple children trying to learn, wanting to learn, and actually having to learn. The school um, home learning, certainly from lockdown one to lockdown three, has massively increased. The schools are really proactive, which is fantastic. They are really helping the children to get to meet each other via Zoom or another platform every day so that there is that sort of inclusivity still going on. And this morning, as an example, the girls, I think it was Sophia's class, they were all uh, told to wear silly hats and talk about that. And my youngest one was uh, doing musical instruments. And just seeing them being able to connect is just fantastic. And yet, you know, we are the lucky ones. And so it's myself, my husband and some uh, friends who set this up and it just felt the right thing to do. The fact that we run a holiday club anyway, we have a childcare services, we'd already got a good audience platform to enable us to spread the word, and that has massively worked, which is fantastic. So we are collecting these devices and raising money for the schools. It, this goes via the schools, it's not, it's not for us. So the schools find out through their families those that are in need, and we try and match what we can to the needs of those families. The, the devices then given to the schools and the schools then um, share those out. So is this initiative, the Share to Learn initiative that you've, you've kicked off, is that exclusively for one school or are you open to sharing with many schools around the town? No, many schools. So obviously, initially, it was thought out because of the school that my daughters go to, that our daughters go to. But we chose to initially contact the schools in the local area and the local villages where children come to us. So we know the schools, we know which schools they attend. And so we initially wrote to those schools and started to to get information back from them. That has actually grown bigger as we have shared our pages and have 
you know, have gone onto social media, other schools have heard about it. So we've been helping a school out in Hoddesdon. We are working with a school in Dunstable, another school in Luton, a special needs school as well. So it's available for anybody. If, if we have stuff here, if we have devices here or we have any money in, in the pot, then we, we want a child as fast as possible to get something to help them to start working. Do, do you have any idea of the scale? I mean, one child without a device is more than we should tolerate. But do you have any idea of the number of devices that you need to make sure everyone has got access to online education? So just with the schools that have come back to us, and I'm sure that there are many schools that either they haven't seen the emails that have been sent to them, possibly because they are so busy dealing with other things or because they don't know us personally. And so it's sort of one of those things that you leave, you, you don't necessarily read. So the schools that have come back to us, of which we have had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten schools that we are working with, we have managed so far to give out 50 devices across those schools of which 18 are brand new, but there is one school alone, which admittedly is from a collection of three schools across an area, but they are still 60 devices short. So you've made good inroads into this, but you've still got an awful long way to go. You know, you're not by you're not finished this by any means. No, I think yesterday almost felt slightly disheartened is the wrong word because this is this is done. You know, we are doing really really well, and the support from people is. You know, locally is just absolutely fantastic. But I think you suddenly have a day where nobody contacts you um, to give you advice or you haven't made any money on the Just Giving page. You suddenly think, oh, no, gosh, is that it? So you ramp it up again and obviously spent quite a bit of time last night posting out on social media where we are. And incredibly today, we've probably had nine emails with different devices to collect. And since uh, Sunday, we've raised another £1,400. So it's absolutely fantastic. But also within that, we've had two other schools come back to us saying, actually, initially, we asked for three devices, but now the homeschooling is happening. We are starting to be able to gauge parents which are behind so, you know, the homework isn't coming in. So they've been able to go back to those families and ask why. And obviously, there'll be varying degrees of, of what that feedback is. But a significant amount of the feedback is actually having the right device or the tools to enable them to, to get the information is, is, is lacking. And so they've come back to us and said, you know, is there any chance we could actually have four more laptops and five more devices that we can actually use for key workers even within schools? So it's, it, it's almost becoming apparent now that, that as we're starting to open this up and people are hearing more and more about it, that I suspect strongly that we will have more schools coming back to us saying actually either we underestimated or we've only just heard of you and this is what we need. So yesterday I felt really like, oh my goodness, you know, I feel we're almost failing <laughs> because I know that we had so many, so many requests and we, we just had nothing left. And yet suddenly by pushing it out on social media, I think Mark went out this morning and he collected, we, we worked out roughly 20 or so devices. We've obviously got to check bills all over and log them, but 20 plus devices today, as I say, nine more are going out today. So all of a sudden it feels really so much more positive again. And social media's got a lot to answer for, hasn't it really? And now you're on the radio and so we can get the message out maybe a little bit further with any look. So let's be quite specific for our listeners. What is it that you need to help these families 
get the best out of online education? Great. So there's, there's two ways that people can help us, and that is either contacting us and offering an old device. It, it doesn't have to be the latest version. It just has to be something that they are able to, to go onto the internet. Schools are then helping support in different ways. So, so that's the, the key thing that we need. We, we need devices. The younger age groups are generally infants, so that is anything from sort of three straight four up until seven. Tablets, iPads, they are fantastic. And then for the older children, laptops are better. So any of those would be absolutely amazing. And if people don't have those, then no issues. But if they can spare any pennies at all, um, it all absolutely goes to help. And that's via our Just Giving page. And from there, we are able to purchase uh, new equipment, which goes directly to the school, and then the school allocate it out to the families that are most needy. So, as an example, we have had one family that had absolutely nothing. This is saying one school that had nothing at all, and so they were given a brand new laptop because that will also help them further, not just in this lockdown, but obviously as they further their education and they go to senior school in the next year or two, it will help them. Whereas what we're delivering this afternoon is for another family that has has a device, but they have three children and therefore having a second device, which is actually more appropriate for the age group, is perfect. So that's a that's a secondhand device that's been given to us. And if somebody does donate a device, is it a permanent donation or is there a, a chance that people could get it back? Because people might be more likely to help if if it's a temporary loan of a device, which they get back at some point in the future. Is there a provision for that? Yes, absolutely. So initially, ironically, we, we thought this was going to be more of a library and we were thinking of words which would be catchy that would make it feel like it was a library so that people could loan us the equipment. Uh, we even had terms and conditions drawn up between the schools and the families and then obviously they would give the those devices back at the end of it funnily enough we just have had people saying we don't want them back so so far everybody has donated them but we would be more than happy and more than willing to to have any on loan and they would more than likely stay within the school environment help the children the you know the key workers children who are actually in the school environment and then they could be given back so absolutely that would be fantastic too and before somebody donates a device i'm sure it's good practice to remove any personal or sensitive data before handing it over to you but but what do you or what do the schools do with the devices once they've been given do do they have to reset them or do they just pass them on to the children as is no so so we ask everybody that has donated to us that they they do remove any data if they are struggling or unsure then we actually have had a couple of fantastic volunteers who are IT techies that have offered their time and they are able either by the telephone to run through exactly how you do that to remove the data. So we, we've, we've had them working with us on that so far, which is which has proved fantastic. So that happens. We then here make sure that they are back to effectively factory settings once we've had them back. And once obviously the person donating has confirmed they have removed all the data From there, the schools, depending, but they set them up to where they need the families, what either platforms they need the families to be on or where they can click into for the children to go onto, whether it's um, whatever packages they're, they're using. All schools are using different ones, but the schools are in control of doing that to enable the families to move on. So if somebody has a device now, or as you say, a few pennies in their pocket that they want to donate, 
where do they go? Where do they start on the journey of handing this over or donating the money? Super. So we we have offered to pick up from everybody, which we are continuing to do. They are welcome to to drop off at our home, but we are generally we have been picking up, and so they can email us, and our email address is share to as in the digit learn at fizzbug.co.uk. Okay, so that's the email and the Just Giving page. Where is that? Lovely. So um, if you go into Just Giving and search Share to Learn, we're actually at the top there. You should see a pretty picture of a rainbow, um, which was drawn by some children the Share to Learn on it. Um, so that is us. Just Giving Share to Learn with the digit two in uh, in the middle there. Well, fantastic. Now, I did pick up on the email there, fizzbug.co.uk. What exactly is Fizzbug? So that's our childcare business. We mainly run in uh, school holidays and we provide a holiday club for for children. So we have all sorts of activities that run. We have different clubs within our club. So we have outdoor explorers. Uh, We run a cookery school. We do a football camp. We do skilled and non-skilled sports arts and crafts, pretty much oh, just lots of fun, really. Lots of fun to entertain children while the parents are having to work. And an unforgettable name as well. We'll certainly come back and talk to you about that at some point in the future. That sounds really fascinating. But in the meantime, Kate, thanks so much for sharing your time with us today. And well done for picking up on something which I guess a lot of people would support, but not many people would have just said, right, I'm going to pick this up and, and do something about it. So well done for taking the initiative and for helping so many families. It's a great story and thanks for sharing it with the listeners of Radio Verulam.